Need a quick hit of Marketing Smarts inspiration? Here it is. We have lifted portions of our Marketing Smarts episodes for those of you who need a quick jolt of marketing savviness right now. Refer to the description for how to find a longer form version. And with that, here it is. This one's all about creating a logo and then establishing the marketing channels and the collateral around that that makes sense for your business. Very first point I want to make here, you do not have to do everything at once. You do not need to have all social channels, a website, handouts, posters, flyers, business cards. No, you just need to pick a couple of things and go with it. The logo is important because along with the importance of your name, it should cue, if done right, to your clients, to people you want to work with, to potential employees, what you stand for. And it should work together with the name itself to bring that to life. But the logo can't do all the work itself. And especially being in the digital age, you need other things that extend beyond that to allow it to continue to move and change and morph, but come back to the same message. So that is things that we talk about, like your color palette, your photography choices, any iconography you want to use, textures, all of the fonts, all of those things make up your toolkit along with your tone of voice. So this is that brand character, the way you want to speak, what you want to stand for, what you don't want to stand for. And this toolkit is sort of like your Bible. It shouldn't be too long, especially in the beginning. I mean, a PDF of one to two pages, it spells out the verbals and the visuals, but it really becomes the playbook by which you execute anything. And from there, you should be choiceful about what kind of material and content you want to create and where you want to put it. So our very first podcast was about websites and really the mistakes that people make when it comes to websites. But we put that one out first on purpose because we feel that in this day and age with COVID and with the digital age put together, you have to have a website. That is the first place someone's going to go either to find you or after they meet you, they will go to make sure that you're actually a legit company. So all that visualization and verbalization you put together should be put to work pretty immediately in that place. If you want to do social first, it's up to you. I think Ann and I caution against this sometimes right off the bat because it's a ton of work and can suck a lot of time. So if you are lucky enough to have clients in the beginning, I would say just be careful about that because if you're going to do it, you need to do it right. And that means spending a good amount of your time on it. In addition, believe it or not, business cards are important to have. I know we just talked about digital and all of that, and we're not seeing people in person as often right now. But for whatever reason, that still seems to be something that speaks to people. It says you're legit. It says you're a company. There's still the exchange of cards around the table if you happen to be in person with people. So we would say that's another one, another staple to have. And Beyond that, have something else that speaks to what you do that can live in electronic and printed form. So for Ann and me early on, it was a one-pager. That way we could explain pretty succinctly what we did, what services we offered, who we were, you know, why we were together, and why you would want us, as we preach most often. Um, And those were kind of our starting materials and the things that made sense for our business to go and say, okay, this is our credibility but also this is how we're speaking and communicating consistently. Yeah, and I think in addition to that, we also developed our LinkedIn presence too right. because that's a very business-oriented way to network. Um, yes. So when we say social, we're, you know, Facebook 
Instagram, Pinterest, all those other social sites, which may you may need if you're selling a product per se, because those are really yes. good places for product to live. But if you're talking about freelancing, usually your LinkedIn is the primary source of where you're going to do your first level of networking. So that we do believe is a is a good place to start establishing your credibility and your reputation along with the uh, the website. So. Um, and if this is all feeling kind of daunting, we do offer a fast start package. It's a actually a perfect gift for the entrepreneur in your life, you know, as Christmas is coming <laughs> around and New Year's resolutions. But we will take that and we'll, we'll, we'll put this all together for you in a very efficient package that is going to give you your, your logo, your colors, your, your, um, your, your playbook, if you will, just to give you a place to start because you're going to want it when you brief anybody else, right, April? Like it's yes. like what you're going to give to anybody else who's going to do any work on your business at all um, as your business grows and scales or as you have influencers who may come on board that also are going to speak on behalf of your business. Yes. And honestly, this year we've done a ton of these. And I'm sure you're sitting there scratching your head and thinking, especially being an entrepreneur, this seems like a steep expense. You know, is this really something I should do? But what we see is too many times people don't do it and they grab a logo from Fiverr and they're like, oh, I can pick pictures and they go do all this stuff themselves. And at some point as their company gets going, inevitably, there is a time where they're like, shoot, I don't have all the things that I need. And when you're trying to go backward, especially when you've already been in the marketplace, it can be really hard to do that. And so we've had a mix of both. We've had instances where people come to us and they know they need this stuff and we're able to help coach them through what all the pieces are. But we've also had ones this year that come and say, shoot, I didn't get this right from the beginning. Now I need to go and recreate. But either way, you've got to have the toolkit and it just makes everything else easier if you do it in the beginning. Whether you hire us, which we would love, or you go to someone else, just please spend the time to do that right. All right. The second one, which I am going to hand off to Anne, set a price structure and develop a proposal template. Yes. Like I said, trying to figure out how much to charge was probably one of the most daunting things I had to do because one of the answer to what should I charge is really, well, what are people going to pay? And this is why it's very important to develop your brand from the get-go. When we talk about providing value that's above and beyond what you actually do, that is actually what people are going to pay for. They're going to pay for that that value because what you're going to how you're going to do it is going to be almost in some cases more important than what you do. So generally when you start out though, all that still being true, is you're going to charge on the lower end of the price structure. That's just the case. And this was one thing I even learned coming from P&G where I know what I paid for other people who were doing my work because I paid the agency. So I knew what their hourly rate was. And even if I deducted for overhead and I could kind of reasonably figure out what they were going to charge and what I could charge in, in addition to. But the difference was, is they were already established and they were working in the context of their agency. I was uh, brand new, fresh to the world. And I really had to establish myself as a entrepreneur. So yes, I have my P&G creds to back me up and that was important. But I think the one thing I learned was that you have to respect the process. You really need to learn to um, be a little bit humble, in, as, especially as you're starting out and realize that the expectations that clients are going to have of you, especially as you know, you're starting out, is going to be um, 
you know, it's going to be ones of the fact that you're still kind of getting your feet wet. So you have to just kind of understand that, you know, you might not be able to charge the the top prime dollar that you're eventually going to be worth from the get go. Um, you can do your research. You can like see what people are paying as a going rate. You can kind of Google that and, and, and get an idea. But the best way that uh, April and I have really uh, found that um, you can dial this in much more quickly is by giving a tiered proposal. So you call it gold, silver, bronze, tier one, two, three, whatever you want to call it is is fine. But what it allows you to do is it allows you to scale the work according to a rate. And so your tier one may be more simple. Your tier two is a little bit more an additional scope. Your tier three is, you know, the the maximum amount scope. What we find is that most of the time people will kind of gear more towards the middle. So your middle should be like the one that you actually really want people to buy. Don't be surprised, though, if they pick the tier one to begin and then they want to increase as you go. So that's the other way of showing, hey, we can start here and then we can add these things on as uh, you find that you need them and as your relationship with the client grows, right? What this helps you do is avoid those like harrowing negotiations where you put a price out there, say you want to charge 2000 for doing this work and your client goes, oh, well, you know what? I don't really have 2000 but I really need all this work. And all of a sudden, you feel like you're selling a car and you say, well, okay, well, then fine. I'll give you this work for uh, 1500 But you're giving them the same amount of work. All that doing is devaluing your, your brand and what your value is. And you need to stand by your brand and your value in these cases. So what, what you then do is you then reduce your scope. Sure, I can give it to you that price. It's going to be this amount. And then maybe we can add these things on as we you know, get a little bit more established or, or, or understand a little bit more about what the work is. So try the tiered proposal. It works. Try also to price per deliverable versus pricing per hourly rate because the value that you bring is not only in the work you're doing, but if you've structured your brand well in the expertise that you're in which you're doing it, they need to pay for that as well. It can't encompass that in, in just an hourly rate. I mean, what you were going to pay, you know, you could do an hour is actually going to be of more incremental value than just the amount of that you're going to charge for an hour. So think about what the deliverable is set your proposal up as that deliverable and not just the work, but what you are producing that's going to help them, whether it's a a social strategy that's going to take your business to the next level, said very generically, you know, obviously you find a better way of saying that, but it's something that's very business oriented that allows them to see that the impact you're delivering has a lot more value than just the work you're doing. Yes. And I, I think the other thing is, well, we're sure there's some kind of psychology around this tiered thing because it absolutely does work. I will reinforce that 100% because I think it's almost like the client has the allowance to negotiate with themselves without us in the room. Um, and it allows them to choose, which I think makes them feel a little bit more comfortable. But I think a lot of what happens is you get into the dog and pony show too quite quickly if you don't just move things along yourself. So I think with that tiered approach, Anne and I are taking initiative and saying, I hear what you're saying. We've also done this a bunch of times. Here's what we've seen based on your industry. And then that deliverable-based um, approach, I think, lets them see what they're going to get and then pick what they want to get 
and feel a little bit more in control of things. I think the way, speaking again from the agency model, the way that we worked for so many years was you had this like timeline or approach or steps or whatever that was kind of patented, if you will, by the agency. And so we were a bit inflexible and we would say, well, it's going to be a you know, $30,000 immersion phase and then we'll get to the work and that's going to take six to eight weeks and we'll get something in market in you know, three to four months. Well, that's not how the world works anymore. So I think Anne's point about being deliverable based has become important too and saying it in a way that they understand. I mean, do they know what a verbal and visual toolkit is all the time? No, that's our job to explain it. But if we explain it in terms of it's your logos, your colors, your photography, that's phase one. And then we'll add on icons and sample designs, phase two, like they can pretty easily navigate between what they're getting and what the trade-offs are within the proposal we have. And also to make it time bound, right? Yes. That was the other thing um, that is a really important point is make sure when you set up your proposal that you're getting paid on the deliverable, not when they say it's all done. Yes. And make sure you specify how many iterations you plan to do of the work. So you're not stuck in this, you know, horrible do loop of them wanting to change a little thing here and a little thing there just to avoid paying you or and and or having the the work completed. So two big uh, suggestions there as well. Yes. So the next one we have is start to market your business. So with Anne being the one that was more of the bring it to life experience, I'll hand this one to her too. Yes. So this one also was a one that caused me a little bit of consternation. Um, But really the way to start marketing your business is to make a list of everyone you know in your network who would appreciate your talents. And then you start to reach out to them. And this was really, really hard for me because I was the one, or I felt like I was always the one that was supposed to know everything. I didn't need necessarily anybody's help. And that was just kind of by, you know, my personal brand as I was, that was just how I felt like people saw me. So to actually have to now go ask people for help was really, really hard. But what I learned was that, you know, this is not a time to be shy and that the business and my desire to have the business was worth that to me. Um, If you're going to sit at home and you're not going to take those steps to do things that are hard because they make you uncomfortable, again, probably um, a sign that you may not be totally ready for this. You're going to have to break out of your comfort zone and do things that make you uncomfortable. But what I learned very, very quickly on was that there was a ton of reciprocity. And that was something I didn't totally expect. Um, In people that I you know, didn't think maybe would want to help me as much were people who actually turned out to be the ones who were the most helpful. And part of that was a little surprising to me because I was like, why do they want to help me? And then it, what I, when I finally kind of asked somebody, they're like, well, somebody help me, you know? And so it's, oh, it, that's a really awesome thing about the communities and entrepreneurship communities is like, it, it feels like in general that there's always a paying it back, paying it forward kind of mentality. I also realized that a lot of the work that I'd put into helping these people along in my career um, is now that it was their opportunity to kind of give something back to me. And that was a little uh, unexpected as well, because I was because I, I, I really I was like, why? why? I mean, I just didn't understand. And then I started looking back. I was like, oh, you know what? I gave them a lot of business and they want to help me, you know. And so there is a reciprocity thing here that is really important and that you need to um, acknowledge. And it's okay to leverage that. 
but you can sweeten the deal. So there's things you can definitely do to sweeten the deal. So first, you can offer a discount. Um, you and I, we just said about valuing your work. But when you overtly offer the discount, you offer it on the conditions that you're offering it. It, it sets a precedent and it's okay. So in this case, you might say, hey, you know, I know you and I were just starting out. I'd be happy to, you know, do this as a trial basis or I'm going to, I'm piloting this, you know, so I'm taking a little bit of money off of it. So there's always a rationale for why you're doing a discount. You don't just give a discount, but it, it is a basis for helping to get a way in. You can offer a referral fee for any business that they're going to give you. That is a big thing in the world of entrepreneurship. There's a lot of referral fees um, that that you can be gained if they you know if you give them ten percent of whatever um, your uh, the business that you get as a thank you for uh, connecting. Um, start engaging in groups. Um, start creating content. So that you can start um, really developing an equity for yourself, a reputation for yourself, credibility. The, the, the whole objective here is just to start planting lots of seeds and really be vigilant. And you've heard us say before, vigilance means you fertilizing and watering your seeds. It doesn't mean you're standing back and watching them and waiting for them to grow. So you want to plant a lot of seeds. You want to make sure that you are really connecting and networking in a way that is going to be conducive to growing your business. Offer some ways in that makes it easier for people to say yes. Uh, money back guarantee is another one. And that's another one that um, really worked for us. So and more for me specifically, it was when I was getting up, when I was willing to put my money where my mouth was, I mean, that was a um, a big signal to people that, hey, you know, it might be worth the risk. And did they ever ask for the money back? And they never asked for the money back. And nobody ever does. Um, there's lots of us who have done this as a way of trying and in, in, in really uh, getting people to take a bet on us. And I have not heard one person say that they got, you know, asked for their money back. So, Yeah. Yes, and I would say to uh, to the point I made first about you know building the tools and then going and being in places. Part of this too is it's putting yourself out there, but I think it's also balancing that with doing things that you feel like you're good at or that will be easier for you. Meaning, if you're like me and you love long form content, blogging is probably great for you. Podcasting is also great for me for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, writing Facebook posts and being super catchy and clever. Like I can do it for my clients for some reason. I have a block when it comes to myself. Like it it just, it depends what actually works for you. And you want to make sure, yes, to put yourself out there and all those things that Ann said to market the business. But since you don't have all the hours and all the time to do all of it, make sure you do things that you feel like are authentic to you because otherwise people will feel it, right? I mean, then they won't feel like it's as authentic, all of those types of things. All right. And the last one I'll take. Just try it. I talked in the first episode right at the end about perfectionism. This was a tough one for me. It's always been a tough one for me. But There really is no way to control with 100% certainty that all of the things you're going to do and put out there are going to go off all the time without a hitch. And I think if you treat that as freeing, there is an authenticity to trial and also just the expectation anymore because of the digital world that we're in where people have more patience, more allowance for things. They're used to seeing things a certain way anymore. And so the smarter thing to do is to adopt kind of a learn-as-you-go mentality. So similar to what Ann said about not waiting for the phone to ring or not waiting for your seeds to grow and making sure you're cultivating them, testing and learning is a similar manifestation of this because what you're saying is – 
okay, I have this idea. This is definitely in line with what I set out to do for my business. Do I know exactly from A to Z how to make it happen? No, but I know enough to know that I can get it out there and try it. And then if it doesn't go perfectly the first time, I'll just fix as I go. And I think that allows you and has allowed us, honestly, a way to pivot with intention throughout the entire process of what we're doing. Ann and I have 35 collective years of experience. We believe that we've seen most things and can solve most problems. But is everything exactly something that we've done before? No. So we try things, we learn, and then we make it better as we go. And that's the way we work. And that's 100% what we would encourage for all of you. Right. I think because if you are locked in this mindset that it has to be absolutely perfect, it almost sets yourself up to be in a pass-fail situation, right? Like you build it all up in your head. You've worked so incredibly hard. And if it doesn't go quite right, it's going to be like the ultimate like disaster failure. And and it's hard not to feel that way. So the, the really allowing yourself some flexibility where it's like, baked enough, but you are still kind of testing the waters and and do it with intention. I mean, it's not just like, well, I'm just going to throw everything against the, you know, the, the, you know, spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks or against the dartboard, you know, and see what lands. It's, you're doing it with intention and you're doing it with some level of expectation in mind, but realize you're just putting out a bunch of hypothesis, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, if I do this, I think this is going to happen. I've laid out all the stuff that I think is going to work in order to deliver that well. And if it delivers that well, it's like, great, let's do more of that. Or let's kind of refine it. If it doesn't go right, like, oh, well, that didn't go quite as expected. Why not? You know, so it becomes an exercise, like we've said, of really embracing the journey um, and really understanding that it's going to just have to flex. It's going, you're going to have to pivot. It's not going to be exactly what you think it is. We, none of our businesses have been exactly what we thought about, you know, and I, it's, but it's been a, uh, a welcome, you know, where it's like, I didn't even know this was possible, you know, and uh, things open up that you didn't expect them to because you are allowing them to. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.